0: So we're in the midst of our sermon series on divine guidance. God's will for your life. We are learning how to walk confidently in the will of God, his will for each one of us. And our key verse for this series is Romans 12:2. The second half of that verse says, you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So, we've been going through God's will in the church, God's will in our thinking, in our doing, and today we're going to be looking at God's will in our location. Where does God want me to be? God has a sovereign will for our physical location, each one of us individually, and the location for his local church. God's will for our placement may change based on different circumstances and seasons of our life. Where does God want me to be? This message today is going to consider three Biblical um, stories or accounts of how God directs our location. The three examples that we're going to use today is Jonah. Immediately, you think of a great fish, right? Paul. I wonder which story he's going to be talking about with Paul. He's been a lot of places. And Philip. I want to use these three examples to help us see how God works in our lives for placement. And then at the end of these three biblical accounts, I'm going to share the personal life story of Pamela and I and the many places that God has led us to. Um, I won't be able to share it in all detail because it'll take the rest of the day. And I promise I won't do that to you. So just as a reminder, let's think about divine guidance. We have to be in God's will. We need to understand and walk in fellowship with him. So we first talked about rebound, 1 John 1, 9, that we can confess our sins and God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness so we can walk in righteousness with God. That's part of God's will. For our life. And then we talked about holy habits and how important it is for us to practice spiritual disciplines to remind us, because we are people of habit, that God wants us to be in fellowship with Him each and every day and each and every moment of our life. And then we talked about the fact that God wants us to know His will. The Bible is. God's word and he wants us to know his word so that he can speak to us and give us his will for our lives but then we said we also need to yield ourselves to his will we might read it but we also need to yield to his will and we need to grow in God's grace and then we looked at God's will within the church we talked about um, five laws of the function of the church, we saw that God calls us to to function as a body, and so each one of us needs to accept our responsibility. And then we saw that some people accept their responsibility so well that the rest of us like to just step back and say, "Look at that person go! They can just do it all themselves." And we said, "No." God has gifted that person in one way, but he's gifted me in another way. So that person needs to accept their limitations. That was the second thing. And then we said, well, that means we need to honor one another. And then we also need to be aware of one another. And then we talked about the importance of local church membership. All of this came from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And then we went to 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and we saw that God's will is important in our thinking and our doing. So we said when we get a thought into our mind, we need to make it match up with the thinking that Jesus would have for us. We take that thought captive and we become obedient to Christ. And so now today... I want to talk about God's will for our location. There is a key verse that I want to use, and it's in Jeremiah chapter 29. If you'd like to open up your Bible to that, I will refer back to this one a couple times. Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 11 to 13. I want to set the stage for you. God's chosen people were taken into captivity, into exile. Just so you know what that means, that means that as if we are living our world in our homes, do you realize what this means? If you were taken into exile, it means that a foreign government comes in and takes you out of your home. You no longer own that home. And they take you to their country. And they say, this is where you will live, and this is the job you will do, and you will be able to live. Wow. That's hard for us Americans to think about. Although sometimes things get challenging in our day, and we wonder, maybe that could happen. Anyway, that's where God's people were. They were in exile And God was still talking to them through the prophet Jeremiah. And he was making a promise to them and an application to them in these verses. If you're using the Pew Bible, it's on page 1,224, Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 11 to 13. So this is God's word. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. This was God's word to his chosen people back in the day. And this is God's word to you today. If we are doing what God wants us to do, then we will wind up in the place where God wants us to be. So the first point in the message today is, where does God want me to be? He gives us a promise in verse 11, for I know, God knows the plans that he has for you. And in verse 13, he gives us the application, seek with all your heart and you will find God and you will find his will for your life. Just think about what it would be like to be under the rulership. It's not a guidance, it's the rulership of a foreign entity. It make you maybe feel like you're a foreign missionary in a foreign country. But you know, we're not all called to be foreign missionaries. But do you understand that crossing an ocean or going into a foreign country, that is not what makes one a missionary. God's chosen people taken into exile into the foreign land did not make them missionaries. Christians become missionaries by first learning and practicing the doing of God's will. If a Christian will not seek God's will in their daily life, if they will not witness to the people that God puts in front of them each and every day, if they will not witness to their neighbors, then they'll never witness abroad whether God sends you or whether you're taken into exile. The conditions abroad are going to be so much more difficult. So it stands to reason that Christian maturity correlates to the place where God wants us to be. I believe this is key. Christian maturity is the key to correlating to the place where God wants us to be. Before I witnessed to you about the life that Pamela and I have been on and the many travels and places. Let's first look at these three biblical examples that I promised. First, we're going to look at Jonah. God uses the force of nature to turn us toward his will for our location. So like I said earlier, when you hear the name Jonah, you probably picture a great fish in in this Old man living in the belly of a whale or a great fish. Well, how did he get there? Later this week, let me recommend that you open up the Old Testament to the book of Jonah. It's not too long. And just read through it. I'm going to give you a really short synopsis for some ideas and some exciting things to look for as you read through it. But God is going to speak to you in his special way if you take some time to read it on your own. Well, Jonah was asked by God, actually, I guess he was told by God, I want you to go to Nineveh and share my word with the people of Nineveh. Now, Jonah did not like Nineveh. He said, if I go there and share the Word of God with Nineveh, and they turn their mind to accept God's Word. God is just going to pour out His mercy on them and have grace upon them, and I don't like them. I don't want that to happen. So Jonah didn't go to Nineveh. He thought that he could live his life in the location that he wanted to live it in, not in the location that God called him to, So Jonah got on a boat and headed in the opposite direction. Not a good idea. God brought a great storm onto the ocean. And the ship was being tossed back and forth. In fact, the sailors on that ship thought their boat was going to be broken open and they were all going to die. So they all started talking and asking, what's going on here? Someone must have really upset God. And then they remembered they had a passenger in the bottom of the boat named Jonah. Jonah, do you know why God might be mad? So Jonah shared the story with them. And he said, yeah, it's because of me. I guess, you know, if the rest of you want to live, I could just be thrown into the ocean. That'll probably make God happy. You see, Jonah decided he'd rather just die than do God's will. Just throw me into the ocean. I know I'll die if you just throw me into the ocean and I won't have to worry about it anymore. And so Jonah was thrown into the ocean. There was no way that he was going to be able to swim against the currents of that storm, or even if there wasn't a storm, to be able to swim far enough to reach land before he'd drown. But God. But God showed up. He had this great fish go and swallow Jonah. And Jonah was swallowed up and lived in the belly of Of that great fish for three days and three nights. I don't know that it would take me three days and three nights to finally get on my knees and repent, but it did Jonah. And he did finally. Can you imagine kneeling there on the blubber of the belly of this fish and repenting and telling God, I'm sorry. God, I'm sorry. I know you are sovereign. And your will is good, pleasing, and perfect. And I will do what you've called me to if you choose to save my life. At that, Jonah was spit out of that fish and not in the middle of the ocean, but onto dry land. I could just see him shooting across the air and landing on the beach. And guess where Jonah went? He went to Nineveh. And he shared the story that God wanted him to share. So you can see how God uses nature. We would just say, oh, that's just an act of nature that the storm came up. Oh, that was just the act of nature that a great fish would swallow up somebody. We hear about it every day, right? So God uses his sovereign power over nature and things that are going on in our lives to direct his will for our lives. The second example I want to look at is where God actually closes doors. We think we know where God wants us to go, but then the door gets slammed in our face. This is where I want to use the example of Paul. And again, You might want to write down these verses and and look at them later today or or later this week. But Acts chapter 16, verses 6 through 10. I'll I'll read that part. But let me set this part up for you too. Um, Let's see, Acts 16. Paul and his cohorts were... On a missionary journey, they were sharing God's word. They were starting churches. They were having a great time, and God was blessing everything that they were doing as far as people listening to God's word and wanting to become a body of uh, part of the body of Christ. And Paul said. When we get done here, we're going to go to Bithynia, which is in Asia, and we're going to continue to share God's word, and we're going to spread God's word through the country of Asia. But for some reason, that's not where God wanted them to go. Acts chapter 16, verses 6 to 10. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. What? They were not able to go because the Holy Spirit kept them from going to Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to go. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. I want to stop there. So God closed the door. God slammed the door in their face. They knew they were doing God's will. They knew they were doing good things for God, and they could see Asia being a place where God's ministry could just really expand. Let's go. But the Spirit of God said, no. No. We don't know if it was through circumstances that they happened to feel like, yeah, maybe God doesn't really want us to go. I don't believe in just circumstances. It's the Holy Spirit working in your life. We don't know if there was a prophecy that came to them and the Spirit said, you will not go to Asia, and it was very clear, or how it came. But they knew that they were not supposed to go there, so what are they going to do? What is God's will for their life? So we continue reading. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man in Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us, Paul. After Paul had seen the vision, he got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Wow, isn't that awesome? So when God closes the door in your face, even though you think you have some good plans for God, be open to his message. Listen to his still, quiet voice, and he will lead you to his good, pleasing, and perfect will for your location. So they went off to Macedonia, and that man was there and was so excited that they came to see him. One of the things that just came to mind is it's important for us to realize that God is a sovereign God, and God has always existed and always will exist, and God does the same thing in the same way now as he did then. Have you ever thought about that? Have you read the Bible and thought, wow, isn't that cool the way God does these things To make sure people know his will? It's the same God. He's doing the same thing now. Are we opening our minds to allow God to come in? The next example I want to look at is Philip. I know I've shared this before. But not all of you have heard it. This is one of my favorite stories, especially when it comes to baptism. Baptism. Philip wanted to share God's word. Philip had a desire in his heart. Have you ever had a desire in your heart like, I want to live in this place? And I just really believe that God wants me to live in this place. Philip had in his heart that he really wanted to live in Caesarea, he really thought it was the best place to raise his family but God, (laughs) but God spoke to Philip and he said, Philip, I know you want to go to Caesarea, but I want you to go down this desert road. Yeah, it's going in the opposite direction, but I've got a good, pleasing, and perfect will for you if you'll just head down that road. Now, Philip did not try to fight God. He just got on that road and headed down into the desert. This is in Acts chapter 8, by the way. Acts chapter 8. And as Philip was walking down that desert road, a chariot came, a really fancy-looking chariot, and the angel of God told Philip, get up there next to that chariot. So Philip thought, hey, there's nothing else out here. Why not walk alongside that chariot? And as he did, he heard the Ethiopian eunuch, which is inside. This uh, Ethiopian was a treasurer of the queen. And he had been to Jerusalem to worship. And he was heading back to Ethiopia in his chariot. And he was reading. He was so excited because he had just been to this great opportunity where people were worshiping together and and he was just filled with the spirit so he's reading God's word and as Philip walked alongside the chariot says that he heard the Ethiopian reading these words from Isaiah it's from Isaiah 53 verses 7 and 8 I usually just say that he was doing that but I want to read these words to you so you know what Philip heard him reading The Ethiopian was reading this. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? for he was cut off from the hand of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. And so Philip said to the Ethiopian, do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian said, how could I understand? You know, I haven't been trained. He said, could you get in the chariot here and explain it to me? Could you take these verses from Isaiah and explain what God is saying to the people that God actually sent his lamb, the unblemished lamb, to die for our transgressions? That's what Philip did. He explained the gospel of Jesus Christ to that Ethiopian. And that Ethiopian was so full of the Spirit when he accepted what he had been reading and that he accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. They were going along this desert road and then all of a sudden there was some water. And the Ethiopian said, hey, Philip, if what you tell me is so true, why don't we just stop this chariot right here and we go down in that water and be baptized? Could you baptize me? And Philip said, sure, let's do that. So they pulled the chariot over. They went down into the water, and Philip baptized the Ethiopian. And I want to read this to you from Acts chapter 8, verses 39 and 40. When they came up out of the water, you know, we dunk when we do baptism, right? So you go down into the water, and as they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. Poof! And the eunuch did not see him again. But he went on rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus. That's about 10 or 20 miles away from that place that they were on on that desert road. Like that. You think God doesn't have a will for your location? Like that, Philip found himself in Azotus, and he traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Isn't that cool? But what's really cool is you look later on in Acts chapter 21, verse 8, and you'll learn that Philip was allowed to live there and raise his family in Caesarea. Acts 21, verse 8. He was still in Caesarea, raising his family, teaching his children to follow in his footsteps, to follow divine guidance. All right, Jeremiah 29, 11 to 13. God is speaking these words to us. I will, I'm sorry, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. After 70 years and God's people did seek him, he took them back to the location he wanted them to be in, back to Jerusalem. I want to share a little bit about how God's worked in our life, Pamela and I. So we are high school sweethearts, still, <laughs> and we grew up in and Springs, Michigan. It's in the southwestern corner of Michigan, and we were like, I would dare say most people think that where you grow up, you will live the rest of your life. Now, I, I know there's some people here that have moved, but we were of that thought. We had generations of both of our families that g- grew up in Berrien Springs. What else could there be in the world? So, after a few years of marriage, we were able to save up some money and we made a down payment on a farm. We lived in the farming community, 40 acres. And I was working in the nuclear power industry, and, and our second daughter was to be born shortly after we made our offer on the place. She was born without any problems, and we were getting things set up. I, I had already planted the crops on the land, and closing time was going to be in a couple weeks. And I had an accident. I call it an accident, we call it an accident, but I think it was a God moment. I was hit in the gut by a softball because we were playing softball with guys I work, in a ruptured a tumor on my kidney. That's how hard it hit me. My kidney is in the back. Through a series of surgeries and taking the tumor out and sending it to have it tested, I found out I had cancer Wow. I figured my life was over. Cancer? In 1985. So we walked away from the purchase of the farm. Well, that's a long story too. (laughs) But it was obvious to us through this cancer that God really didn't want us being on that farm. In fact, we didn't know if he wanted us anywhere, at least me, at that time. But I survived, obviously. <laughs> About three years later, there was no sign of cancer, and there, there was nothing holding us back. But we felt like God was calling us away from Marion Springs. And we found ourselves in Texas, The first time in Texas. I was working at a nuclear power plant, and we bought a nice four-bedroom big home uh, in a community. It was a gated community. It was called Pecan Plantation. It was hundreds of acres of pecan trees and golf course built there. And across the street from our home, we were on the fifth fairway, was a little private landing strip for people that had these huge garages where they parked their airplane instead of a car. Um, And we were living there, and everything was great, and we were part of a good church. That's really why God wanted us there, because we were able to really grow spiritually. And it was through that growth and that time that I answered my call to ministry. So we left this beautiful home in the country club off the golf course, and we moved in because we just felt like it had to be God's will if he's calling us to ministry. We moved in to a two-bedroom rat-infested parsonage. I am not exaggerating. It was at the bigger church. I was to serve two churches. It was at the bigger church in the town of 301 where this rat-infested parsonage was, and the other church was about 12 miles away, in the Wildwood, with no running water. Together, the churches were paying us close to $12,000 a year. So it wasn't too long, actually two years. We worked through that. I was going to school, full-time pastor, trying to make it on $12,000 a year, and we got hungry. So we moved again. We moved out of that rat-infested parsonage, and we went back to nuclear power, and we lived in Michigan for a little while, in South Bend, Indiana for a little while. I was doing contract work. Back in Texas again, and then we decided God really wants us to be back in our hometown. So Pamela's grandmother had passed away, and her grandfather was getting remarried, and so he was going to sell the retirement home that he and her grandmother had built on the lake, so we bought the lake house, and we moved back to Michigan, and we thought we knew what was going to happen for my career in the nuclear power, but that didn't happen, and then I got back into full-time ministry while we were living in the lake house, and We just had some awesome ministry times there. We did boat and Bible at our home. For one hour, the junior high would come over to our home, and four or five other families would bring their boats over and put on the lake, and we had expanded our dock so we could dock um, four or five boats. And for an hour, we would just pull those junior high uh, kids around behind our boats and on tubes or skis or whatever they wanted to do. And then afterwards we would come up and have a campfire in our backyard and the high school kids would come too and all together we would eat hot dogs and have a devotion and just, you could feel the spirit of God through all this ministry. And then the little junior high kids would leave if there's there's junior high listening online. We don't mean anything by that, but the high school kids would know what I'm talking about. They had their free time then, and we would boat until it got dark. God called us to be back in Berrien Springs, Michigan. It was obvious, at least for a while. (laughs) Ten years later, it became obvious that we were not going to be there any longer. Um, I had been full-time ministry. I had been working nuclear power, and I was back in the nuclear power, and um, they were going to be moving us to Minnesota, um, and we didn't really want to go there. (laughs) But we felt that God was calling us back to Texas. Now, the way that we felt that was Dawn went, our youngest daughter, the one that was born when I found out I had cancer, um, was at in college, and she was going to Baylor University, and during Parents Weekend, Pamela and I went to visit, and when we landed on the tarmac at the DFW Airport, Dallas-Fort Worth, I just felt something. It was just some kind of move in from God in me that this is where God wanted me to be. I didn't say anything at the moment, but when we got our rental car and we started driving, we... We talk to each other and to God a lot when we're driving. That's, that's some of our best time. I told Pamela what I felt, and she said, I felt the same thing. So we knew God wanted us back in Texas. So we sold the lake house, and we bought a ranch. God was finally going to give me an opportunity to be a cowboy. So we had a 100-acre ranch, a big, beautiful home, and barns, and and we opened up that ranch to ministry and and Baylor University called me to work there. And so we were able to live well, provide ministry at the ranch. We had a party barn. We, we had over 1,500 people come through our ranch in a year um, to have parties and do ministry and go fishing in our pond. We had dad and me days where we'd do fishing trips and hay rides. Um, And just great ministry. And then Pamela changed her career from nursing to counseling and we were using the horses for counseling. God definitely put us in this place for ministry and we were going to open up this counseling and ministry more and more. But God said, it's time to move. What? What? Just so you know, it it became clear because really Baylor University was supporting our ministry and our hobby on the ranch, and Baylor University got to the point where they wanted somebody in my position that I had with a Ph.D. because they're going to the next level and I didn't have a Ph.D. So they said, thank you very much for everything you did and good luck. <laughs> so we sold the ranch. First, I tried to find a job in the area. I knew God was calling me back to full time ministry because I had gotten my credentials up to date in the Evangelical Free Church just two years earlier. And so I I knew, and Pamela knew that we were probably moving to full time church ministry. But we felt like we were going to be doing it right there from our ranch. In no churches opening up, jobs were not available. I was looking for churches then, anywhere and everywhere. Nothing was happening. So I went back to nuclear power, and it's like, how, how could that be? After more than 10 years away, people would take me as a consultant to nuclear power, and okay, if you want to pay me that money, I'll come and do it. And it was amazing. I could remember. The stuff It really just flowed. It was easy. It was like, okay, God's called us to this. We're selling the ranch. We're going to buy a fifth wheel. We'll live in the fifth wheel for a little while and figure out where God wants us. So we were living in the fifth wheel in South Carolina. And um, just before that point, we had been talking to this church in Valparaiso, Indiana, called New Hope. And they wanted us to come come and be the pastor and pastor's wife there, but we said, we just can't do that to you because we still have a mortgage on a ranch, and you're going to kind of be paying that $12,000 a year like the first church that we served. (laughs) It was going to be more than 12 because it's the newer 20 years later value, but it wasn't very much. So we felt God was calling us to the fifth wheel, and then it was like, okay, God, where do you want us to live? We need a home base we, because we ended up selling the ranch. And the kids, our kids said, hey, um, you're in South Carolina. If you bought a cabin in the Appalachian Mountains, that would be so cool. <laughs> and we thought, yeah, that would be cool. So we started looking and God opened the doors and found this beautiful cabin on 12 acres. Um, about halfway up the mountain, it sat, you had to go in a real steep Curvy driveway to get to it. In my, I had, yeah, switchbacks. So in my dually, I had to like do, you know, the turns to make these switchback turns to get up to the cabin. And it was beautiful cabin. And it was um, backed up on the on the backside of the 12 acres. Was over thousands of acres of the Cherokee National Forest. Less than a mile in in our past our backyard was the Appalachian Trail, and it was just beautiful, and and things worked out. We put um, an offer in on it, and things were working out great, and uh, we went and visited the kids on Thanksgiving, and we're coming back after Thanksgiving. We're going to go by the cabin just to check it out because there were a few things that needed to be fixed. And we did that, and we're up there on the cabin with the realtor. And Pamela is sitting on the back porch in a rocking chair. And I sat down with her there. And, we, and it overlooked, I mean, miles and miles until the next mountain. And there was a little church down in the valley. And the church bell rang. And we both said, Look at that. God is telling us all is well. All is well. Thinking that God is giving us this beautiful cabin. Well, we drove down off the cabin. We scheduled closing for two days later, and we're um, driving back to our fifth wheel in South Carolina. Yeah, you know, this was in Tennessee. This was close to Gatlinburg in that area. What was it Green Greenville? Greenville. Anyway, um, so we're driving back and just really relishing in the presence of God's spirit talking about that bell ringing and my phone rang and I answered it and the people at the nuclear plant were saying "Um, you know it's coming up on the end of the year and management has better plans than all the rest of us of course and they they said we're not going to have any more contractors for the rest of the year and it's like okay well you know that's okay because we had some money from selling our ranch and and we knew there would be times where you wouldn't be working when you're doing contract work. And then we're traveling along, about 20 minutes later, we got a call from the banker. And they said, Alan, before every closing now, within two days, we need to verify employment. And I called your employer. Are you employed? Uh, n- not as of about 20 minutes ago. They said, well, then you are not going to close on this cabin. Whoa. <laughs> I mean, it was like crazy. How could God be so wrong? It felt so right. <laughs> and so Pamela and I started talking about that. What are God's plans for our life? What, what is his will for our location? And I told her, I said, you know, I've always, through this whole thing, been wondering what happened at New Hope Church in Valparaiso? I was wondering, did they, is that really where God wants us to go? And she said, I can tell you, Alan, because I was wondering too, and I checked online, and they still don't have a pastor. And so I called them out of the blue. It was like a year later after we had originally had talked to them, and they were excited to have us come and talk and meet people and we did and we pulled in uh, in January. Oh no, it was actually December 29th, kind of like we pulled in our fifth wheel here in January, but it was December 29th there into a little campground and we met the people and we became the full-time pastor couple there at in Valparaiso. So God spoke to us and he put us in the location and he was as we look back on it now he was ringing that bell he was saying pastor allen pamela get down off that mountain <laughs> and so we went to valparaiso and then last year we felt god moving us to to move into a a continuous type of ministry where we can Do the work where God sends us to. And we don't need to feel like we're tied down because God always takes it away anyway and says, move on from here. And so we sold our house. We moved into our fifth wheel. And on January 1st of 2021, we parked at a campground here near Fort Wayne. And here we are pastoring you during this transition period. (laughs) Yeah, praise the Lord. So he works through forces of nature. If you have storms in your life, God might be talking to you. He talked to us through illness. God closes doors in your face just like he did for Paul and those people that were working for him. It's the same God. He's doing the same thing today as he did then. God closed the door in our face at the ranch. He blessed us for over 10 years to live the cowboy life and I loved every minute of it. And I love what he sent us to next. God closed the door in our face when we were up on that mountain. God also makes divine appointments for us. That's the the term that I really meant to say when I was talking about Philip's following God's will for his life. He had a divine appointment for Philip to meet that Ethiopian and then to go to Azotus and the other small towns on the way to Caesarea to meet people and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everywhere, every location that God has placed Pamela Pamela and I in, we have had divine appointments. Our divine appointment right now is with you all. Praise God for that. Wherever God leads you, if you seek his face, you will find him. God says, for I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me. And I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart most gracious heavenly father we thank you that you are open to our seeking you and we thank you that you have a good pleasing and perfect will for our location and lord we thank you that you work through us and give us divine appointments no matter where we are no matter where we work no matter where we go later today you are calling us to be at that place. We just pray that you open our hearts and our minds to hear your still quiet voice as you call us through your son Jesus Christ and through the filling of your Holy Spirit. And it is in his name we pray, amen.